Well, thank you. It's really fun to be here. It's fun to get to know you a little bit better. It's fun for you to get to know me a little bit better. And one of the things that I want you to know about me is that I am absolutely, positively terrible at surprises. I always ruin them. I never see them coming. My parents, who are actually here right now, they're right here. They're great. Um, yes, Linda. They love to tell a story about me when I was a little girl, and I, my mom and I made a birthday cake for my dad, and it's like a family tradition. It's this caramel cake. It's yummy. And we had put it in the fridge to wait for uh, my dad to come home. And we, I hear him, you know, coming up the driveway, and I run, and I throw my body in front of the refrigerator, and I say, don't look in here. It's a surprise, and it might be a cake. <laughs> I always try to surprise Rich, and it, um, an epic fail every time. One year for Christmas, he really, really wanted this um, subwoofer. I don't know, it's a speaker. Something about making things go boom really big. He really wanted it. And I thought, okay, well, I will get that for him. And so I totally bought it off the grid. Not on a credit card, he couldn't see it or anything. And I hid it in this, our guest room closet where nobody ever goes. And it's big, but you know, I kinda, I, I got it in there and I hid it there and I thought, this is great. He'll never know about it until Christmas morning when I pull it out. Yeah, so a couple weeks later, he comes in, he's like, hey, what's this? <laughs> like, how did you even find that? But he's the master ninja of surprises. He's always surprising me. When we got engaged, it was this amazing surprise. And um, one day, uh, when our neighbor down the street, Amy, uh, called, she says, um, hey, Kelly, my mom had to go to the hospital, and could you come down and help with my kids so that I could go to the hospital and be with her? And I was like, absolutely, Amy, I'll, I'll be right there. And so I spent about four hours uh, jumping on the trampoline, we rode bikes, and this is summer in Texas, like it's hot. I'm sweaty. It's like, and then it was like dinner time, so now we gotta like make dinner in her kitchen and everything. And I think I'm gonna go home and I'm going to just like take a shower and relax, but oh no, Richard Conwisher has 50 of my closest friends in the living room and I walk in the door to a surprise birthday party and I looked something like this when it happened. <laughs> yeah. It was such a good look for me. <laughs> really, it was awesome. Yeah, happy birthday to me. <laughs> It was great. Yeah, I'm not super good at surprises. But the virgin birth has to be one of the greatest surprises in all of the Bible. Last week, Rich talked about Jesus, and we can um, appreciate him for being always loyal and always reliable. And that's absolutely true. But God is not predictable. He's very mysterious, and he's free-moving, and certainly that's true when we get to the virgin birth. So we're going to look at how Mary responds to a surprise by looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can find that. And while you do, I'm going to go ahead and admit and just kind of own it for all of us that when we are reading or when we're saying the Apostles' Creed, that when we get to this part of the Apostles' Creed, it gets a little, I don't know, uncomfortable maybe? So we kind of start off big, right? You know, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Yes, I do. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Mm -hmm, got that. Who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. Oh, maybe, okay. Kind of a little, little different 
way we get to that one, right? And so many people in our tradition and our faith over the years have, have said, you know what, I'm going to explain this virgin birthing away. I'd like our faith to be a lot more rational than that, and we're just going to kind of explain it away. And other people have gotten really deep, 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 deep into theological conversations, good systematic theology stuff, so we could like tease it out and make it very reasonable. And while I love a good theological conversation, that is not my goal today. I think this is supposed to be a surprise. I want us to focus on the fact that God is doing a new thing. And that if we aren't shocked when we read it, I don't think we're hearing it properly. So with that, let's look at the scripture, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I think it's important to point out that the people in Mary's community, the ancient uh, Jewish community, would have been just as surprised by this announcement as we would be. And it's, it's not like they didn't know where babies came from. I mean, they knew might not have known exactly as much about the human genome as we know today, but they knew enough. And so this was quite a surprise. And at Christmas time, we give a lot of conversation to the incarnation, which is the choice that God makes to work through us by inhabiting a human being. And I am here to tell you that I am not going to take us to Christmas yet. How many of you cannot stand it when Target puts Christmas trees in the store before? Yes, thank you, amen. So we're not going to sing away in a manger and do all of that kind of stuff today. We'll let, we'll let that happen down in December. But what I want to focus on is how Mary responds to this proclamation, this visit from the ga angel Gabriel. How does Mary call us to live in light of this reality? So you may have heard uh, from Rich that I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and I grew up in a group of people that choose to do life together, to love each other, and uh, we met all through church when we were first in Tampa, and we call it The Family. And when Rich and I got engaged, I said, oh, this is great, but you're going to have to come home and you're going to have to meet The Family. <laughs> and he's like, 
Am I marrying a a mob daughter? I was like, no, yes, but no. So we are all um, close, and every summer the kids get together and spend time together with their cousins. And we play, and we swim, and we hang out together. So this is a photo here of this year's gathering of the cousins. They went to Universal Studios here. The nanas, the moms, all took them to Universal Studios. And they've been doing this for years. So here's another photo. This was, was about seven or eight years ago. And this is the same group of kids, you know, so still playing together. And Danica's the uh, one down there um, on, the, on the bottom right. And she comes running into the kitchen where I'm, I'm with mom and we're making dinner for all these kids. And she comes running in and she says, how are all these people related to me? Like she figured it out, cousins, like, wait a minute. And I said, oh, well, you know, because we share a faith in one Lord and God, and because we believe in Jesus, she's like, waves me off. She's like, okay, I get it, we're cousins. <laughs> and just kind of ran, ran back outside. And I love it, right? Because when we together profess our faith in Jesus, as we do in part through the Apostles' Creed, what we're saying is, is that we are all adopted into this amazing family of faith. And together, we do love and life together. That we are all a part of this family, and and being an adopted family is kind of a reality of the gospel. And that's how we all relate to each other and to God. But that is not how Jesus is in relationship to God the Father. Some people have tried to say over the years that Jesus was just a normal Jewish boy from Nazareth who was conceived like any other normal Jewish boy from Nazareth who God kind of tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, I have a really important job for you to do. And kind of adopted him in that figurative way for this mission. And other people over the years have tried to say, you know what, he was never really human at all. He just looked human. Kind of like put on a on a, on a human costume. Hey, Superman, okay? So like Superman's always kind of a super guy, but Clark Kent is the, you know, the face. Mm. So we have, he was really just divine, but just kind of looked like a human. And when we stand up and we say the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed here is purposely holding these two things together that, that seem exclusive, specifically that God is absolutely fully human, and fully divine at the same time. And after studying theology for three years at Princeton, I, Kelly Conrisher, am going to tell you the fancy theological word for when God does stuff like this in the Bible. Okay, you ready for it? Here it is. Ta-da! It's a surprise. Nobody really expected this to happen. I, I don't, Mary certainly didn't understand what was going on. And it would take generations of, of people discussing and debating and, and kind of discerning how is God moving through us all in order to go about his, his promise to redeem us and to reconcile us to one another. She didn't get all of that at one time, but she did get that something new and something exciting was happening, something quite quite unsettling. 
she wasn't surprised, I don't think, in any way that God was going to send a Savior. She was surprised that God was sending a Savior through her. I mean, the Jewish people had been waiting for a Savior for a long, long, long time. They were waiting for a king, a warrior, somebody who was going to come in and conquer the land, unite the people, create the kingdom. Absolutely nobody saw that God would work through a very poor woman from a working-class family. So no matter how distant you feel like God is in your life, no matter how silent you think that he is, what this story is revealing to us and, and, and sharing with us is just this, that instead of working around us, to achieve his purposes of reconciliation and redemption in the world, God chooses to work through us. He chooses to work with us. There's one thing to believe that God's going to fulfill his promises. It's a completely other thing to believe that God is going to fulfill his promises through you. It's the difference of being at a surprise party and being on the receiving end of a surprise party. And the Lord, um, or the angel rather, reassures Mary in this moment, right? So he says, no word from the Lord will ever fail. This is kind of a funny play on words because word of the Lord could mean like language, what God's saying, I'm saying this is going to be true and that's true. But also, word here means Jesus, the word of God becoming flesh. He himself will never fail. And so Mary, I'm asking you to be a part of my great mission, to which she responds, I am your servant. She has no idea how this is going to play out. There is no strategic plan that she can thumb through. And you know what? She was very aware of the costs. She was going to lose her reputation. Likely there would be a significant issue with her fiancé, Joseph. At the time, well, there's no question that the people would have thought there was some adultery involved, And at the time, the penalty for that was stoning by death, to death by stoning. So the the costs were very, very high. And yet she, she says, here I am, Lord. I am your servant. And I know some of you right now are thinking, that's great. Mary is amazing. And... I understand that that God can call really good and holy people to do amazing things, but God is never going to tap me on the shoulder for such a significant moment. I'm not that kind of person. Well, I think this comes from a misunderstanding about Mary. The angel Gabriel does say, you have found favor with the Lord. But there's nothing in the scriptures that say that Mary found favor with the Lord because Mary was particularly good or righteous or holy. 
It doesn't even say that the reason that the Lord chose her was that because she was a virgin, although we absolutely believe she was. The reason that the Lord came to Mary and said, hey, I am going to do this amazing thing through you is because she was available for him to work through her at this incredible moment. Saturday, November the 5th, 2011, this gentleman, his name is Derek Brodus, was sitting on the couch of his fraternity house at the University of Tennessee, waiting for the, the Tennessee Volunteers Middle Tennessee State football game that was going to start at 7 o'clock, and he was going to watch it with his buddies at the fraternity house. He's waiting along, and all of a sudden his cell phone rings, and he fumbles to answer it. And on the other line is a gentleman saying that the head coach for the volunteers is sending a police escort to get him to the stadium right away. And Derek told the press later, he goes, I thought it was a dream. I mean, I literally was sitting there with a bag of chips on my lap, and the next thing I know, there's a police escort coming to get me to the stadium. The reason is, only a few hours earlier, the second string kicker pulled a hamstring in pregame warm-ups. He was out. On Thursday, the first string kicker, his name was Andrew Party, he was injured, out. So now with only hours before the game, the Tennessee Volunteers have no kicker. And then the irony of all ironies, the volunteers needed a volunteer. <laughs> all right? So Derek Brodus had tried out as a walk-on freshman for the, for, the, for the team, and he didn't make it. So the head coach says, let's get an APB out on Brodus. I don't know where he is, but find him. And if he passes a breathalyzer, let's pat him up and let him out and let him kick. Right? So then so he finds himself in the in the training room, they're stretching him out, they're finding pads that fit him, they slap a jersey on him, doesn't even have his name on it, right? And he gets his big opportunity. He winds up uh, kicking three extra points and a twenty-one yard field goal. And the and the volunteers won the game twenty-four to nothing. Right? So this is a photo of him later on in the, in the locker room where the head coach, Derek Dooley, and the team present Derek Brodus with the game ball. Isn't that great? He started the night out as a spectator, and he wound up holding the game ball at the end of the night for the volunteers. Love it, right? My, yeah, I know. Come on. That's a great story. Whew. Yeah. I wonder if you're going to cheer when I tell you that's the same thing in the kingdom of God. Right? There are no spectators to this whole gospel thing. There's no such thing as being a couch potato when it comes to living in Jesus' community. Every single one of us is seen. He sees you, and he's going to call you into the game. Let's not forget the backdrop to this whole story. You may remember when I started, uh, when we read the scripture, there was a reference to Mary's cousin Elizabeth. So Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, they were 
in their senior years here at Peachtree, a grand adult. And they had been wanting a child for so long. They, and they were unable to conceive. And the angel tells Mary, remember Elizabeth, who was said to be unable to conceive? She's in her sixth month now. But when the angel comes to Zechariah just before this story and tells Zechariah, you are going to have, your, your wife is going to have a child. You know what, how he responds? He responds with some skepticism. A little bit of doubt, right? He says to the angel back, mm, how am I going to know that this is going to be? I don't know about this. Maybe this is your story. Maybe you're open to being available to God, but you feel like you've been waiting for a long time. Maybe you're a little cozy with disappointment, feeling that God isn't showing up, that God isn't present, that, that you are ready, but he hasn't been present when you needed him. Or maybe you've been so focused on your own desires and your own plan. Kind of like me, when I took the girls one day shopping for school shoes, we were at Nordstrom. And, if you, and another thing you need to know about me, I don't like to shop. So when it's time to shop, I want to go in, I want to get the one thing that I need, and I want to get out. And I kind of take it as a victory, the faster that can happen, right? I'm like, yes. So we go into Nordstrom, we're going to buy shoes, and then we're going to get out. And so the, the saleswoman is helping us, and she's starting to engage in a conversation. And she says, you know, where do you go to school? And oh, how, what sports do you play? And I'm like, size four, blue, let's go, you know? And I'm trying to keep it in. And she's, you know, engaging in all of this stuff. And she starts to share that she has just finished her associate's degree. And she's not really sure what to do next. She'd like to finish her college degree. And she wasn't sure um, kind of what to do next. And my sweet, tender, precious Ashby pipes up, hey, my mom's the vice president at the university. Hey, mom. Ha. Okay, so now I'm in a conversation, and, and I get to know her a little bit. We, we slow down, and, and turns out she's the first person in her family to ever go to college. And this is why she's a little unsure about steps. She doesn't really have anybody in her life to guide her as to what you do next. And she loves music, and she'd really like to be a teacher, maybe a music teacher. Uh, she wasn't sure how to get there. So I pull out my business card and I write my mobile phone number on the back and I actually write a note to my colleague who's um, the vice president over in enrollment and I, and I say, you know, take care of her, something, something. And I give her my card and we leave. And honestly, I didn't think about that for two years until I got a handwritten card in the mail from this precious girl and she was graduating with her bachelor's degree. And she had secured a teaching position in a Southern California school district. And for those of you who aren't from Southern California, that's just really hard to do. And she thanked me, just gratitude. Said things like, this wouldn't have been possible without you. Thank you for making it, this journey possible, for me being able to fulfill my call. And I was so happy for her, 
But I gotta tell you, I was so deeply embarrassed. I wasn't available to her at Nordstrom that day. I wasn't looking for how God could use me in even a small way to help her fulfill her call. And it really convicted me. What does it look like to genuinely live with a posture of being available for God to use me? The poet and novelist Wendell Berry says it very well through one of his characters, Jaber Crow. He says, he says this, I can't look back from where I am now and feel that I've been very much in charge of my life. I've made plans enough, but I see now that I have never lived by plan. Nearly everything that's happened to me has happened by surprise, and all the important things have happened by surprise. And whatever has been happened usually has happened before I had time to expect it. And so when I have thought I was in my story or in charge of it, I really have been only on the edge of it, carried along. Is this because we are in an internal story that is happening only partly in time? Maybe you're a little bit like Zachariah, doubting, maybe feeling abandoned by God. Maybe you're a little bit more like me, wanting to control things, plan things, drive the agenda. But what Mary shows us, the way that she inspires us to live, is to be able to be present with God and with each other with a a holy yes. Yes, Lord, I am your servant. To go from that doubt to the belief, from the couch to in the game, from being closed to being available for God to surprise us. Because together, we are all part of his holy family. And he's doing something new. Yes, he's loyal and reliable, but he's not predictable. He wants to surprise us in our own lives and through Peachtree. He's doing something new. It's a little unsettling. I get that. But it's all part of God's desire to work in us and through us to achieve his beautiful and wonderful purpose of redeeming us and reconciling us to one another. When I say I believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we're saying I am available for God to surprise me. How about you? Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Just like when Angel Gabriel came to Mary and said that the Holy Spirit will be upon you, we ask for the same, Lord. Fill us up.
Help us to have courage to say a holy yes to the new things that you're doing in us as individuals, to the new thing that you're doing through us here at Peachtree. We know that sometimes it could be unsettling, but Lord, we ask that you would help us to pry our fingers off our own little plans and our own little agendas so that we can be available to the wonderful ways in which you want to partner with us, work through us to achieve your purposes of reconciliation and redemption. And I pray all these things to the strong and powerful name of Jesus the Christ. And all of God's people say, amen. Amen.